From Equity Mates Media, this is The Dive. I'm your host, Sasha Kelly. We're the podcast that asks, who said business news needs to be all business? It turns out fake diamonds are having a moment. No, I haven't just decided that that's the case. I'm not fashion arbiter of The Dive. It's that a new threshold has been reached. Last year, lab-grown diamond jewellery surpassed 10% of the world's total diamond jewellery sales for the first time. It's Friday the 8th of September and today I want to know what is happening in the diamond industry and how is the traditional diamond industry responding to this surge in sales? To talk about this today, I'm joined by my colleague and the co-founder of Equity Mates. It's Alec Renahan. Alec, are you the man to talk about diamonds today? I guess so. I have no knowledge on this topic. Um, Bryce probably could have come in and spoken about it. He went diamond shopping last year, two years ago, mm-hmm. but his hiatus on the dive continues. So you're stuck with me. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're here because I don't know who else I'd turn to, to be honest. But let's start with the basics. Give me the context. How big is the diamond market? Yeah, so it's massive. Uh, estimates differ, but around $100 billion a year. That's sort of the size of total diamond sales in 2022. So when you tell us in your introduction that lab-grown diamonds have surpassed 10% of total diamond jewellery sales, we're talking big business. Big business. And before we started recording, we try not to do this, but we were chatting about what we knew about the topic. And both of us said that we thought when you talk about alternatives to diamonds, you're talking about cubic zirconias. You know, the shop, I know they're big in Australia called Secrets, um, just pretending that you're getting real diamonds. But that's actually not what we're talking about today, is it? Yeah, that's right. What we're talking about here are lab-grown diamonds. They are physically, at an atomic level, they are diamonds. A cubic zirconia is not a diamond. Lab-grown diamonds are, you know, they're the same carbon atoms arranged in a diamond cubic crystal structure for those who want to go at a uh, molecular level. The only difference is its origin. Mined diamonds are mined. Lab-grown diamonds are made in the lab. A cubic zirconia is not a diamond. It just looks like a diamond. It has zero carbon at an atomic level. So lab-grown diamonds have been around for ages. Didn't realize this, but General Electric created the first batch of lab-grown diamonds in 1954. Initially, the quality wasn't suitable for jewelry, but over the past couple of decades, they've slowly been emerging. By the 90s, labs had improved the quality of lab-grown diamonds enough to make them suitable for engagement rings and jewelry. But the popularity of lab-grown diamonds really surged in 2014 as shoppers, as soon-to-be engaged couples, were looking for budget-friendly and environmentally responsible alternatives. Now, Sasha, 2014, the first thing I Googled once I read that that was when lab-grown diamonds really started to take off was what year was Blood Diamond, the movie, Mm. released? Like, did those two things coincide? Blood Diamond was released in 2007, so we can't quite point to causation there. But, um, yeah, it's really been sort of the last 10 years that lab-grown diamonds have been surging. So we're talking about this today because they've hit this new threshold, 10% of the world's total diamond jewellery sales. Earlier, you just said 100 billion in 2022. Is that kind of the size we're looking at? Yes. So to put the numbers in context, let's rewind to 2016. 
In that year, there was $700 million in lab-grown diamonds sold around the world. $700 million, that's big business, but it has massively grown from there. By 2022, $12 billion of lab-grown diamonds were sold. So from $700 million to $12 billion in six years, that's a bit shy of 10% growth a year. So it's growing quickly, but it's speeding up. That's the really notable thing. The $12 billion in 2022 was up 38% from 2021. And if we look at this year, so 2023 so far, that number is already 14.6 billion with still a few months to go. So the lab-grown diamond market is already up 22% this year with what, three and a bit months to run. So it shows, Sasha, that it's grown, but it's accelerating as well. Yeah. So what has driven this accelerating rise in demand? Price. It's okay. all, this is a story of price. <laughs> uh, well, comes down to money. Diamonds, <laughs> they're, they're getting a lot cheaper. And how cheap are we talking? Am I going to log off and go buy one for myself? So let's rewind back to 2016 to put this in context again, when lab-grown diamonds were 700 million in sales. So the prices in 2016, you were paying about $6,538 per carat for a mined diamond Mm -hmm. and about $5,450 for a lab-grown diamond. Okay. So what, about 10% difference? Um, Mm. not, Not a huge difference for shoppers. That has changed massively in the six years since then. These days, a mined diamond, you're getting about $5,185 per carat. I don't know why I keep saying about when I've got very specific numbers. <laughs> um, so that, that price for mined diamonds has fallen about 21% in that time period. That's that's a meaningful fall. Yeah, that's significant. But lab-grown diamonds have fallen 74% in price in that time from $5,450 to $1,425. So that means in 2016, there was about a 10% price difference between mined and lab-grown. By the end of 2022, that had stretched out to 80% cheaper lab-grown over mined. So what can we attribute this to? Like what's driving down this price? The machines and the components that you need to make lab-grown diamonds have got a lot cheaper. Sasha, have you heard of chemical vapor deposition machines? Would it surprise you, Alec, to say I have not heard of chemical vapor (laughs) deposition machines? It wouldn't surprise (laughs) me, but if we're going to get into the lab-grown diamond game, that's what we need. Okay. So for context, China and India account for about 75% of the lab-grown diamonds produced around the world. Mm -hmm. So they're the two diamond powerhouses. In India in 2019, you were buying a chemical vapor deposition machine for 300 grand. Okay. Today, you can get it for under $100,000. So the cost of capital equipment to make these diamonds has just massively come down, allowing more entrance into the market and allowing these lab-grown diamonds to be priced cheaper. The other thing to note is that the Indian government has really leaned into this as an industry. Okay. India's big in a lot of precious gems, but the Indian government have been developing subsidies and capital equipment financing incentives for new lab-grown diamond producers. So, 
you know, the price has massively come down and government support has massively gone up and that's led to lower prices. Now, Alec, we can't talk about the diamond industry without discussing one very powerful group who've been very involved with diamonds and that's the De Beers. We're going to talk about how they and the rest of the diamond industry are responding to the rise of lab-grown diamonds in just a minute. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A kiss on the hand may be quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. Welcome back to The Dive. Today, we're talking about the boom in lab-grown diamonds. From a $700 million industry in 2016 to just shy of $15 billion this year, that is massive growth. The diamond industry has been controlled by powerful interests, none more so than the De Beers Diamond Consortium. Alec, what are they doing about all of this? <laughs> yeah, now for people unfamiliar, the De Beers Diamond Consortium was a South African British conglomerate that controlled the diamond trade. Mm-hmm. From its inception in 1888 until the start of the 21st century, De Beers controlled a about 80 to 85% of rough diamond distribution. If you bought a diamond, it was a De Beers diamond and they ruthlessly enforced their monopoly. Mm-hmm. Competition has started to dismantle their monopoly in the 21st century. Now De Beers sells 29.5% of the world's rough diamond measured by value. Okay. So they've got a lot smaller, but they're still incredibly powerful. And the diamond industry is controlled by a few very big players still. But Sasha, we've got to talk about De Beers for a minute because if people don't know the history, it's fascinating. Mm -hmm. They invented the idea of a diamond engagement ring. The De Beers copywriter, Mary Frances Garrity, let's give her her credit, Mm -hmm. she coined the phrase, a diamond is forever in 1947, and it just led to a boom in diamond engagement rings. The diamond engagement ring. How else could two months' salary last forever? A diamond is forever. De Beers. To put some numbers to it, in 1939, De Beers' sales of diamonds was $23 million. By 1979, $2.1 billion. That's massive. Diamonds are forever. And I think it's worth having a quick aside on the effect of advertising on the diamond industry. So we mentioned there the Diamond is Forever campaign and what that led to. Uh But there are some more recent studies in Japan and China that show that diamonds are just a a marketer's dream, I guess, or just all marketing, you could say. So in Japan, J. Walter Thompson created a series of ads that linked diamond rings with, quote, modern Western values in 1967. In that year, less than 5% of engaged Japanese women received a diamond ring. It just wasn't a cultural custom. 
1981, so 14 years later, 60% of engaged Japanese women did. It turned Japan into the second largest market for diamond engagement rings after the United States. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty crazy advertising. In China, a similar story more recently though, according to De Beers, traditionally, again, diamond rings, not a part of Chinese culture, giving diamond rings barely existed in the 1990s, so in our lifetime. According to De Beers' data today, more than 30% of Chinese brides now wear diamond engagement rings. Alec, that's all very interesting. And as someone who's re-watching Mad Men at the moment, definitely on point. But let's get back into the lab-grown game and talking about the rise of these synthetic diamonds. Yeah, fair enough. Let's, let's get back to the <laughs> Let's the get back story. to the topic. <laughs> yeah. um, so De Beers and other big diamond industry players, big diamond, let's call them, they've spent several decades trying to suppress the synthetic diamond industry. Ever since GE first had that breakthrough in the 50s, they've seen the competitive threat and they have tried to squash it, I guess. Mm-hmm. And up until really recently, they were you know, advertising against it. So In 2016, the Diamond Producers Association, which is De Beers and a number of the other big diamond players, they had an advertising campaign, Rare is Real, and they were trying to persuade millennials to buy natural mined diamonds, even if you weren't interested in marriage or or anything. So 2016, that's not that long ago, and that's sort of, you know, we keep talking about that's when the industry of lab-grown diamonds was just $700 million. Since then... De Beers and a lot of the other big players have decided if you can't beat them, join them. They're getting into the lab-grown game. By 2018, De Beers had launched Lightbox, which is their lab-grown diamonds company. And somewhat surprisingly, they came out and massively undercut their natural diamonds business. They were offering some of the cheapest lab-grown diamonds on the market you know, 200 to $800 per carat compared to, you know, upwards of $5,000 per carat for natural diamonds. And they wanted us to embrace diamonds, not just for weddings, but for things like, and I'll quote their advertising here, birthdays and beach days and just because days. Well, Alec, I'm not sure when the last time you decided to sport a diamond is, but I don't think there's anything wrong with wearing something shiny on a just because day, but I'm obviously the target market. But shouldn't they be concerned? I mean, I'm obviously not in the diamond business, but aren't they just undercutting their own market? Yeah, you'd think that, wouldn't you? Like they're pr- providing a much cheaper alternative to it and the product is literally chemically, like at an atomic level, exactly the same. Yeah. Aren't they just massively undercutting themselves? I think why Big Diamond have really got into this game is because some of the lab-grown diamond companies were trying to pitch their products as a substitutable good for engagement rings. Have a lab-grown diamond because you're worried about how natural diamonds are mined, uh, about the environmental impact of mining, or just because you want a cheaper option. What a lot of these big diamond players have come into the market and done is try and reposition lab-grown diamonds, not as an alternative to the engagement ring, but as incremental demand, as diamond jewellery for the everyday, you know, for your beach days and your just because days. So what they're trying to do in, uh, you know, massively reducing the price and position it differently is rather than cannibalising their 
natural diamond sales is to grow the market and create incremental demand and make diamonds more an everyday item. And they've been pushing them into a lot of the cheaper jewelry players as a result. So take Pandora, the massive Mm -hmm. discount jeweler out of the US. They didn't traditionally sell diamonds, but now they exclusively sell lab diamonds at a lower price point for, you know, cheaper jewelry. Mm. So as the price point between natural and lab grown diamonds widens, our perception of these two products starts to diverge and starts to change. And we start to see them as two separate categories rather than substitutable in the same category. And it's a real reminder that diamonds, like so many of these luxury goods, are Veblen goods. Okay, you're going to have to explain what Veblen goods are to me. Yeah, yeah. It's a fascinating (laughs) concept, but it's basically they're types of luxury goods where demand increases as the price increases. Okay. So if you think about your, you know, your high school economics supply and demand chart, what should happen is as the price comes down, consumer demand increases. But Veblen goods, they work the opposite way. They have an upward sloping demand curve because as sellers keep raising the price, more and more consumers see them as a luxury good, see them as a good investment, see them as a status symbol, and a, there's more demand as the price increases. And one of the classic examples of that is natural diamonds. That's so interesting. And I'd say Hermes bags, but that's a conversation for another day. So where does this all lead us? Where do we go? So don't think that engagement rings will be swapping natural mined diamonds for lab-grown diamonds anytime soon. Mm. I think where this ends up is we see an expansion of the overall diamond market and we see a lot more diamond jewellery. Sasha, for your beach days and your just because days, now you can rock more diamonds. I think also from a design perspective, lab-grown diamonds are more flexible than traditional diamonds. The manufacturers, because they're being made in a lab, can make them in different shapes. They can Mm. make them in different colors that sort of aren't found in nature. So expect to see, I guess, more creative diamond jewelry but don't expect your engagement rings to get any cheaper anytime soon. I wonder if anyone's made a recreation of the heart of the ocean from Titanic yet, because that would be one of the first things that I'd be trying to make with my machine. (laughs) Well, they're less than $100,000, so Sasha, you could probably convince a couple of investors and buy a machine and do it yourself. Yeah, there you go. Got a new investing goal on the horizon for me. Well, Alec, let's leave it there for today. I certainly have really enjoyed digging into this topic. If you have as well, one small favour from us. We ask you every time, but it really does make all the difference. Send this to a friend who you think would enjoy the dive. And then while you're at it, why don't you jump into your podcast player and give us a five-star review. Alec, thanks so much for joining me on the dive today. Thanks, Sasha. Until next time. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives.
Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.